Welcome from the deep. I am Mike the Finder. And I am Book of Brett. And today we are going to be talking about what we watched in February. Now, if you did watch the what I watched in January video that I made, this is going to be slightly different. This one's going to be more in a podcast form rather than the video format that I put out last month. Uh, for those of you listening on the podcast side of things, uh, go check out the what I watched in January video that is posted on our YouTube page. And if you're only watching this on YouTube, uh, be sure to check us out on all your favorite podcast apps like Spotify, uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, any of the others that we are on all of them with our RSS feed um, and the podcast gets put on there. All the other videos get put on our YouTube page. So if you are only listening, make sure you go check out the YouTube page because there is a lot of stuff over there that does not make it to the RSS feed. So uh, like I said, this is going to be a slightly different format than it was last month because Brett is here this time. And so it's going to be a much longer video. So we decided to don't do that. We decided to do this in a much longer format uh, in order to be able to talk about everything that we both watched this month. So yep. um, February had some doozies in it for me. I don't know about you, but like I saw a ton of stuff this month. Um, I just recently signed up for AMC's Stubbs A-List is what it's called. And it's 25 okay. bucks a month. You can see three movies in theaters a week uh, without having to pay. So you could just make a reservation and, and get a ticket and just walk into it. It's it's genuine. It's genuinely awesome. And I, I, I for real suggest this. Not only because it's worth the 25 bucks a month, uh, but also because... Everyone needs to be going back to theaters, please. I don't want them to disappear Dude, from the world. Yeah, it would be no, super I, if everybody started going back to theaters. Yeah, and we talked about this on Infinity Pool. Uh, Infinity Pool, I went and watched in the theater, and uh, it was uh, it was kind of cool to go back into a theater and watch that in there. I will say um, that's where I come in with the issue with uh, with the AMC thing because uh, for that price, I could actually go see about four movies. At um, but that's at it's, it's also right. at like a boutique theater. It's not at like a a widespread right. theater. So there is the advantage of that. Too. Well, it's three movies a week, not a month. <gasps> oh, oh, so twenty five dollars a for month the for month, three three movies a week. Okay, well then, never mind. <laughs> Ignore me. You I um, don't know what I'm talking me, about. I mean, for me, you go and see two movies in one month, and it yeah. automatically pays for itself. So yeah, that's true. You that's know. Okay, yeah. No, I'm on board. I'm on board. Um, but anyway, uh, so this is everything that we, both of us, watched in the month of February. Um, I have only got movies. I know Brett has got some TV shows in here. He's been binging TV yeah. more than me. Yeah, and I wanted to kind of preface this with that. I've been getting into more TV shows lately. Um, a big part of that is that, you know, without going into anything and plugging my uh, plugging stuff, uh, my business uh, has really been taking off. And so, I, and I have found the value in TV shows. And I've really kind of, I don't know if we've done it on the channel before, but I've really kind of knocked TV shows because I always say, like, I don't have the time to invest in them, this and that. But this last month, I really started seeing the value in TV shows, being able to invest time in a one hour episode. But I also kind of attribute that to the fact that TV shows streaming are really starting to go back to the heyday of TV where you got one episode a week rather than everything just shoved out there for you to binge. Yeah. And so I, as they're doing that, I'm kind of starting to find the value in TV again. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I, 
I tend to watch far more movies than I watch TV, um, but there are a, especially n this next month in March, uh, Yellow Jackets is coming back. Yeah, uh, it is. There's a bunch of stuff coming up in March yeah. that I'm actually super excited about. Who's um, Misty going to eat next? <laughs> so, oh my God, spoiler, Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's just get right into this. Uh, the very first movie that I watched in February was House on a Haunted Hill. Uh, nice. And the original nice. from 1959. Um, We're going to find out very shortly why that's so interesting. <laughs> so uh, this was something I, I watched pretty late at night. I love, I have a real soft spot for black and white movies. And so <laughs> and anything Vincent Price does ever. Anything Vincent Price, that's true. Uh, for me, Vincent Price, black and white horror is about as good as it gets. And yep. so there's just it's something the extremely... of horror. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's just something extremely comforting for me. And it's because yeah. I, I grew up watching and loving black, old black and white horror. Uh, but, but specifically house on haunted Hill, there's just something special about it. And it's kind of yeah. made by numbers. Now it's kind of, um, I would say sort of tropey, but, but the reason tropes exist are because of movies like this house. That's on what I was going to say. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. House on the Haunted Hill was 100% a ton of fun. And this is yep. something I pull out maybe once a year. Um, I have a poster of it on my wall. I think it's some of the best original old school artwork from like the olden days, 1959. You've had that poster since we lived together. Yeah, the poster is sick. It's uh, You can see it here. It's a skeleton holding a girl on a noose, and it's got a decapitated head being yeah. held by Vincent Price. It's just sick. And yeah. the entire movie is awesome. The plot is really stupid fun. I think that um, Vincent Price is awesome in this, and the entire idea is really cool. A multimillionaire uh, brings a whole bunch of people into a rented home that is known to be haunted and tells them if they can experience one single night that he will pay them a lot of money. Uh, it's directed by the amazing, late, great William Castle. And if you don't know anything about William Castle, I won't go into it here. Look him up. He's super dope. He's done a ton of stuff. House on a Haunted Hill. I ended up rating this a 7 out of 10. I love it. I think 7 is perfectly acceptable for this considering how old it is uh, and this is great i love it he he pays them all ten thousand dollars to stay in a haunted house i would take that deal i don't know about anybody else even even in <laughs> that 1959 just, that's a shitload of money i was gonna that's what i was about to say is just the, the 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 contrast of how much money he's offering as if it's like <gasps> ten thousand dollars i mean for 1959 i could buy homes for that much <laughs> yeah back back when everybody could actually afford homes with ten thousand dollars back when sears was selling prefabs <laughs> uh but i i definitely i definitely um i i really love this movie it's something i watch all yeah. the time so yeah no absolutely as far as class as far as classic movies go uh you're talking classic horror there cannot be a classic horror movie list without this movie on it as yeah, far as i'm concerned i 100 agree with that okay so let's move on over to brett's first watch of the month um and that is significant other yeah, yeah, we uh, we did a review on this. Um, I actually uh, kind of went back and um, skimmed through it. I wasn't fully paying attention, I'll be honest. I, I, I watched it for a second time uh, while working, but um, going through it again gave me kind of a different appreciation for it. Um, 
not a lot of my opinion changed. I just, I think I had a little bit more fun with this one the second time around. Interesting. Simply, sim- simply because I was able to look at it through the scope of what we had talked about and looking through, looking at it through the scope of having seen it already kind of gives you a different appreciation for everything that's going on. Um, I would not definitely say that that's what everybody's review should be based off, because obviously your review should be based off of the first time watching it. But uh, I had more fun with it than I thought I did the first time. However, as we said in the review, I still felt that 84 minutes. <laughs> and 84 minutes is not a runtime you feel. <laughs> <laughs> not generally. Hopefully. Anyway. So... So, yeah, so I'm going to stand by the rating I did on this one, which I believe was a 6 out of 10 uh, when we did the review for this one. I think that's I did right. Not yeah. u- I did not use Letterboxd like Mike did. I I, I should make that clear. Um, I'm not as active on it as, as Mike is. Um, I'm that's getting a good point. better about I'm getting better about being active on it, um, especially in relation to this. As I said, this month has just been absolutely insane. And so I'm going bas- based off of my original review, which is a 6 out of 10, which still stands. So um, my next movie that I ended up watching was Planet Terror, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Um, Interesting. This is something that is in Grindhouse. If, you, if you've if you seen Grindhouse, that is Planet Terror and um, Death Proof? Yeah, Death Proof. Death Proof, yep, um, yep, yep. And it's a double feature. They put some fake uh, drive-in trailers in between the two. For me, I am almost always over it by the time Death Proof comes on. And I have never enjoyed Death Proof to its full because I am always sort of on the meh train by Planet Terror. Death Proof just sounds like a Charles Bronson movie. I mean, I'm not saying that Planet Terror is bad, um, but it is for me. I've seen it a bunch at this point. And so this time around, I rated it. Um, lower than I have in the past, I think. But it's just not as good as the stuff that it is uh, not making fun of, but trying to sort of be like. Um, right. and, and for me, because I watch a lot of older stuff, uh, Planet Terror is just kind of meh. And that and that is not to say that it's not a good movie, but for me, I just don't enjoy it as much as I enjoy some of other uh, some of the other Robert Rodriguez movies that I've seen, such as Sin City, Dust Till Dawn, The Faculty, stuff like this. Um, you know, he has done other stuff that I actually really like. Uh, but for me, Planet Terror is just one of those things that it just doesn't hit nearly as hard as I think he wants it to. The idea is okay. Uh, the special effects are great. The camera work is phenomenal. I think for me, the drive-in grainy film footage stuff gets old really fast. And it's because I think every YouTuber and movie that wants to be set in the 70s and 80s uses it now. And so Mm -hmm. I think in 2007, when this came out, that was much more of a novel idea. And now when I watch it in 2023, for me, it is just sort of a, oh, right, it's drive-in, it's VHS, it's old school movies. All of the grain is still there. The the cigarette burns, all of it. it. It just doesn't work as well as it did in 2007 for me. So I went ahead and rated this a 5 out of 10. This is kind of middle of the road. It's not bad. It's not great. In my opinion, this is right down the center. And it's okay. So I went ahead and rated that at a 5 out of 10. Okay, and so moving from there, we're going to go into Brett's next watch. Which is another TV show. Um, and this one is After Life. Not After Life, After Life with uh, Ricky Gervais. I personally 
am a huge Ricky Gervais fan. Um, what he did at the Oscars, or I, yeah, I believe it was the Oscars, is one of my just favorite things ever. I love how straightforward he is. I love his I don't care attitude. And when it comes to his films, when it comes to his TV shows, everything he does still has an element of Ricky Gervais in it, whether you like it or not. And Afterlife is no different. This is a TV series um, about how basically he lost his wife to cancer and is, you know, basically going through life, uh, trying to find a reason of why to exist. At one point, he did try to commit suicide and he didn't commit suicide because the dog came in while he had the razor to his wrist and the dog looked hungry so he went and fed the dog and then he just kept on living that's the premise <laughs> to the show it's fantastic because it is dark this is dark 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 but there's these little flickers of hope that you get in his hopelessness and as the series progresses they just released season three this last january and it was the last season personally i just started it but i am loving it the uh, i will say the cinematography and the color grade are great in this show i i, I don't know what camera they're using it's probably an re alexa lt but the color grade and the cinematography are fantastic but what matters most is what mike and i are always saying is what else the story. The writing is amazing. It's so good. He's so good at playing this embittered, um, uh, cynical, uh, nihilistic character. He's so good at that while still getting getting us to laugh at moments and uh, the, the the chemistry between him and his dad. Uh, his dad is, uh, who's the guy that played the, uh, the janitor in Harry Potter? Or, oh, yeah, um, yeah. The guy from... Um... He yeah, was also in Game of Thrones. He's in Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's his name? So I can't remember this guy's name, but if you're looking at IMDb, it's this, it's that guy right there that he's that, that he's sitting with. Um, the chemistry between them is so fantastic because his dad has Alzheimer's, and there's actually one part where he looks at his dad and he says, "I love you, Dad," and his dad just looks at him and goes, "Gay." <laughs> it's, it's just, it's so terrible, but it's so funny too. And it's just, it's a really, really good show about finding hope in hopelessness. I mean, if you take it at face value, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of dark comedy in here. There's a lot of really serious moments. There's one really messed up moment involving a, uh, a drug addict that I won't get into. No spoilers. Go watch the show. Um, this is a show that so far I'm giving an eight out of 10. Yeah, on so uh, far, IMDb here, it has an 8.4 out of 10. So Okay, there you go. There you go. It is a it is seriously a phenomenal, phenomenal show. And even Ricky Gervais said they did not end at season three because they ran out of viewers. They ended at season three because that was the end of the show. And I respect the ever-loving hell out of showrunners that do that. Yeah, amen to that. Okay, so my next watch here is going to be a movie called Arctic, A-R-T-I-K. This is a super low-budget um, horror movie from 2019. Uh, it's directed by, I'm going to really, really butcher this, Tom Bocci Skoronsky. 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 Um, and so, I just want to say, this is the first time I've ever been able to actually discern anything on Mike's screen from Discord. Thanks, Discord. <laughs> 
That's really funny. Um, so this is a movie about um, a serial killer who is raising his son to be just like him. Um, which, oh, that's a cool premise. Which in the, you know, we've seen some stuff like that before with Dexter, uh, but Dexter's dad wasn't a serial killer himself. He was a cop. So it's slightly different, right? Um, this movie has a killer premise. Um, and it, it's basically... They they live on a farm and the serial killer is super obsessed with comic books. And so he's kind of he's kind of seeing himself as this comic book hero. Um, and he has all of these delusions that the things that he's doing are kind of uh, heroic. And he's also a very good artist. And so he ends up drawing himself, committing these murders a lot. And he has a son. Um, and he's also got a wife who is played by Lauren Ashley Carter, who... I bring this movie up a lot is the main character in darling, which is full disclosure. The reason I, I ended up watching this movie is because I was thinking about darling from director Mickey Keating. And I thought to myself, I wonder what else Lauren Ashley Carter is in. And so I went and looked it up and other than things like jug face and, and a couple of other things that she's been in. This is the one that really stuck out to me. She is also aware that her husband is a serial killer and they are both on board with teaching their kid how to be a serial killer, which is a killer idea. Now the execution, I did say, I started this off with saying that this is super low budget. Um, and because it's super low budget, there are some restrictions there that one has to overcome in order to enjoy this movie. Mm -hmm. For me, I was not able to overcome those things. Um, but not necessarily because of the low budget, um, because of the fact that they kind of screwed the premise up. The idea is super cool. You're teaching your kid how to become a serial killer. Uh, he's like, I want to say like 10, maybe 11 years old. They go through the whole thing of him actually teaching, but none of it is deep enough. And they get off track kind of by someone else stumbling onto the farm. Um, you know, the kid is homeschooled. He's not allowed to talk to other people. The kid runs into somebody else. And this this guy that he runs into ends up finding his way onto the farm, figuring out what is happening and kind of tries to not only help the victims, but come to find out there's a bunch of other kids on this farm too that he tries to save. Um, and so all of this sounds great, but in practice, it's just not very good. It's really, really, really short. It's 76 minutes, so it's hard to complain Oof. about the fact that they didn't go in depth enough. I would have liked yeah. to have seen another 30, even 40 minutes because the idea is so solid. Um, but unfortunately, it just misses the mark in just about every way. It doesn't go deep enough into his relationship with his son. That's the main meat of this story, and, and, and it feels like the people that wrote and directed this didn't know that. And that is what is the most frustrating thing about Arctic. I watched this on Shudder. It's pretty good. If you got 76 minutes to kill, it's worth at least seeing if you're really into low budget horror movies. But for me, this just wasn't that good. I ended up rating this a four out of 10. You can do better with 76 minutes than this movie does, uh, but it's also hyper low budget. And the guy that plays the main guy, I think his name is Jerry Giangelo. Um, he is just terrible. He's just terrible. And anybody, I feel like anybody else could have done a better job at playing Arctic than this guy did. And so there's just too many downsides for me to really suggest this. But if you're into low budget horror, it is worth seeing. 76 minutes, four out of 10. You could do better. Not terrible though. Not terrible. 
So the next movie that we're going to move into uh, is Brett Steck's Watch, which is Peter Pan, because I'm almost 40 years old. <laughs> um, so Peter Pan is one of my top two favorite Disney movies of all time. It goes Peter Pan, Pinocchio. Sometimes I switch, but it's always those top two. And I watched it again because I really feel like if you go to the parts, there's something about going to the parts that really makes you appreciate the movies in a different way. I can't yeah. explain what it is. I really can't explain what it is, but there's something that makes you appreciate them in a different way. And Peter Pan is no exception whatsoever. I mean, we're not even gonna, we're not even gonna get into the fact that people made this with their hands. We're not even gonna get into that. We're gonna get into the fact that it's just it's this beautiful story that honestly does not deviate that much from the original. We have a lot of Disney movies that deviate from the original. Cinderella. You want a horror story? Go read Cinderella. Yeah. <laughs> you want a horror story? Go read The Little Mermaid. You want a good story? Go read or watch. Or, well, I guess just watch Peter Pan because the original Peter Pan was a play. It's a really cool story about not growing up, but there's, there's a lot more depth into this story than I think people really realize because, like, if you look at it on the surface, Peter Pan is this kid that never grows up. And at first, that seems really cool. It seems like that's a really cool thing. But if you really watch it, Peter's got some serious issues. And it's almost like if you watch it through the lens of maturity and you look at it through the perspective of adulthood, it's actually this like really sad story of this kid that just can't grow up. And all he wants is the people around him to not grow up with him. And the only part that's an issue with Peter Pan is the Native Americans. There's no getting around the Native Americans. You can't do anything about it. Peter Pan is a really good example of why we need to watch movies through the lens of when they were created. Because if you watch them through that lens, you recognize the issues. That's a good thing because people didn't recognize those issues. We're in a day and age now where we do recognize those issues. So facto progression. And so I think if you can watch Peter Pan through that lens, it's still a really, really amazing story about growing up and how nobody wants to do it, but you still gotta do it. And that's, I think, why I've always loved Peter Pan. It appeals to not just different age groups, but it, it appeals to different um, um, uh, uh, elements of life. Like, it appeals to you as a kid, but it appeals to the aspect of having to grow up and not wanting to. And then when you're an adult, it appeals to the aspect of the fact that you did grow up and you saw that you had to. There is a lot of depth to Peter Pan that I don't know if it gets a lot of credit for that. And watching it again really, really just made me appreciate it and honestly just made me realize how much I love this movie. And Peter Pan gets a 9 out of 10 from me. Peter Pan is almost perfect. I just got to get rid of those Native Americans. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, that sounds terrible. Gotta get rid of the portrayal of the Native Americans. I was surprised the last time I was on that ride that they are still on the ride. That yeah. that surprised me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine what it's like not wanting to grow up. Um, so anyway, 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. <laughs> that that <laughs> that movie is fantastic. I I think yeah. I would probably rate that a nine or a ten as well. Yeah, it's perfect. It's almost perfect. Okay, so my next watch for the month was Skinnamarink. Um, this movie had a ton of hype behind it. It's directed by Kyle Edward Ball. I for, I don't know much about him, but I do from but from what I understand, he is a YouTuber, um, which explains really? so much about how this movie is and the way it works and the way it's shot and and just all of it. Um, I'm not going to go super in depth with this because frankly, I fucking despised this. I hated, I hated everything about it. There's no plot. There's very little happening. Um, it's a hundred minutes. I'm going to say that again. It's a hundred minutes and it's just ambient shots of a house for the most part. Obviously stuff does happen. I'm going to put that in quotes. Things happen. Um, but nothing that's interesting or scary or even horror related in, in my mind, I've seen a ton of horror movies. It is not easy to scare me. Therefore, maybe I am not the, the perfect target audience for this movie. I watched this on shutter. They had a big banner for it. It was like right at the top. When you go to shutter, they were really pushing this movie a lot. Like I said, this movie had a ton of hype behind it when it first came out. Say that again. Shutter original. Uh, no. No, it's not. Oh, oh, okay. Um, this actually, I think, did the rounds at um, some of the film festivals and stuff, which is why it had so much hype behind it. A lot of people really liked it. This movie is super, like, if you look at the ratings down here on um, <laughs> on Letterboxd, they are all over the all place. All over the place, Rarely yeah. does a movie like this, does a movie end up having ratings all over the place. They're generally, yeah. it's generally, I really liked that or I really hated it. And there's, there's kind of a, a peak in the middle of mm -hmm. as far as ratings go. And this is not like that. It is all over the place. This is super divisive. Uh, for me, I, I, I despised this movie and I had to force my way through it. Uh, and so this was just not for me. Skimmer rink gets a two out of 10 from me. I gotta say, man, I can't remember the last time I heard you say you despised I something. Ha I hated this. Hated it. I felt like it robbed me of 100 minutes. I tend to watch one movie at the end of my day, um, and when I chose Skinamarink as the movie that I was going to watch that day, um, it... it it infuriated me that that's the movie that I chose to watch. And, and because it had so much hype behind it, I maybe was expecting a bit more granted. Mom. I knew nothing going into this other than that. It had a bunch of hype and a lot of the people whose opinions that I respect really liked this, but this is not for me. So Fair enough. I, Fair I, enough. I, I, I rated skin and rank a two out of 10. I did not like this. You might like it. This is kind of like I said, what is that supposed to mean? Not you and not, not Brett. You might like this. People oh. in general might like this, but this is not for me. This is overhyped nonsense. YouTube shit. And, and that is not, that's okay. When you're on YouTube, it's not okay. When you're making a feature film, so God, me, I can't wait I to go watch this I movie. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might like it. I, I did not, but okay. I don't know. I've heard, I've heard people be all over the place with this movie. So it mm -hmm. is, it is definitely divisive. But I, it is not for me. Okay, so for my next one, we have another TV show. We have the show 
Ghosts. They are still releasing episodes. Uh, this is a weird one simply because the way they're releasing episodes is a little sporadic. It's not weekly. It's not regularly. It's a little odd. However, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's basically about a young couple that uh, a, uh, the they inherit a mansion, an estate even, that has been running through the wife's family for generations upon generations upon generations. Um, she basically has an accident inside of the house, which allows her to see ghosts and comedic affairs ensue. Oh, it's a comedy. It, it is a comedy. It is a comedy through and through. It is... Very, very funny. Uh, you've got you, you've got a Native American ghost in here. You've got a ghost from the Viking era. You've got one of her direct descendants from the Victorian era that was married to a robber baron, and so she's just a terrible, terrible woman, constantly telling the wife like how she's improper. It's just it's really, really good. It's really, really funny. Um, this one, I I know up until now, uh, most of these shows have had a lot of depth. I would not say this one has a lot of depth. This one is just a well-written comedy. It's very funny. Every story that happens is interesting. And uh, yeah, there's not, I, I will say, there's not a ton to really say about this one. Because as I said, I mean, the cinematography is good. The, the writing is good from a comedic standpoint. Um, but it's uh, overall, it's just a fun light-hearted comedy that, um, you know, if you've got a little time to kill, it's it's worth watching a couple episodes here and there. Um, the, the thing I think I like about this show is you don't have to get too crazy invested in what's going on because it's not... I mean, there's a serial aspect to it, but it's one of those things where, like, as long as you know why she can see ghosts, which is as a result of an accident that she had that I'm not going to spoil for anybody... As long as you know that, you can pretty much enjoy the episode. And sometimes it's kind of nice to have those. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's kind of nice to be able to just watch something that you don't have to sit there and get like totally emotionally invested in. And so this is what I would call a comfort piece. I would probably rate this a 7 out of 10. Is this a half hour show? Yeah. Okay. As far as I know, yeah. So it's, it's like a shorter. half hour two cam comedy sort of thing? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's shot like it's shot like a single cam, but I believe it's actually shot as a multi cam. I think okay. they use three cameras on it. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, this is something I have never even heard of, so I know yeah. nothing about this. Yeah, it's it, like I said, man. Definitely worth, definitely worth checking out because okay. it's uh, like I said, it's it's not something you have to sit there and go like, what's gonna happen next episode? It's more just like I want to see the funny shenanigans they get into in the next episode, if that right. makes any sense. Yeah. Okay. So my next watch is a movie from 2016 called The Barn. Now uh, we're gonna continue our low budget horror crap from this. I was gonna say, man, this one looks twisted. Um, so it's interesting, right? This is like, um, you know what? I actually think, I actually think I'm going to read my review for this. The title of this review that I wrote was like a bad goosebumps episode. Oh no. The vibe, the music, the cinematography, and the idea are all great, but the acting weighs it down a lot. It feels like it's been 80 yard to death and the dialogue is so poorly written. It's almost impossible to see past it. 
The Explain effect? what ADR is first. Okay, so ADR is essentially where they didn't get the clean audio that they wanted whenever they were recording the movie, so they had to go in and re-record the audio dialogue mostly um, after the fact and then plug it into the movie as if it was mm-hmm. actually happening live mm-hmm. in front of the camera. Um, and so when you ADR something, if if you know what you're listening for, it's super obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't especially notice it, don't it's u- something you're not going to notice. Especially so. if they don't use the same microphone in the studio that they use on set. Exactly. So anyway, so, I just wanted to, I wanted to clarify that because that's one of those terms that's kind of like you know a little um, yeah uh, a- ambiguous. Yeah, yeah. Or not um, ambiguous. You know what I mean? Uh, I wrote the effects are fine, other than the odd CGI fire and lightning here and there, but nitpicking this movie apart is kind of unfair. This is low budget and it shows, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. The overall the overall idea is so strong when you mix that with the nostalgia that it has, it's actually really fun. I almost wish this was a higher budget movie because the whole barn idea is really cool. It has some awesome monsters that could really benefit from a higher budget, give it some dialogue upgrades, hire some real actors, actually pay for some music rights, and this would be great. But what we have here is only okay. Not terrible, but nowhere near great, albeit a lot of fun. It has some cool kills and some great atmosphere, but that's about all it has to offer. If you're looking for 88 minutes to kill, you could do worse. So that's something. Um, and you do worse, he said, giving it a four out of ten. <laughs> so I, I did rate this low. Um, and and just to read the synopsis, it's Halloween 1989. Uh, two friends are trying to enjoy what's left of their night um, called Devil's Night, the night before graduation of high school. But trouble arises when two pals and a group of friends take a detour on their way to the rock concert, finding an old abandoned barn and awakening the evil inside. Now it's up Wait, to Sam is- and Josh to find a way to protect their friends and defeat the creatures that lurk within the barn. So they're calling Devil's Night Halloween. Um, not the night before. Their final Devil's Night before graduating high school. That's what I should okay. have said. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, you know, this is super low budget. I think this was made in Pittsburgh or around Pittsburgh. Um, and that's where Tom Savini's school is. And so there's a lot of great effects here. Um, Go but, Steelers! But that's, that's kind of all it has to offer. This is, this is fun. Again, if you like low budget trash... This is a lot of fun. Um, it's only 88 minutes, so if you're looking for something kind of shorter and low budget that that does have a lot of old school 80s nostalgia, uh, this you could do worse than this. But the barn overall, I didn't find too entertaining. Uh, I did rate it low, but I will also say I actually did enjoy watching this, uh, and I know that's kind of backwards. Uh, generally, when I rate something really low, I absolutely hate it. Uh, and, and with the barn, I rated it low, but I also, but I also had fun with it. So that's something to keep in mind when I say that I'm rating the barn a four out of 10, not terrible, but it is a lot of fun. That's something that we've discussed before, at least I've discussed before on this channel is you have to rate low budget horror on a different scale. A four out of 10 is not a four out of 10. A four out of 10 is a little bit different and it's a little bit more, um, Subjective. Yes. Um, I think. I definitely agree with that. Low, especially low budget horror. Horror mm-hmm. in general, I think I grade on a different curve a little bit, but especially mm-hmm. low budget horror. There's something about yeah. lo- low budget horror that, that has a lot of charm when done correctly. And that sure. d- and the barn has charm. I will definitely say that. And it is a fun movie, but if you don't like low budget trash, you're not going to enjoy this nearly as much as I did. So mm-hmm. the barn, four out of 10, not terrible. I actually did enjoy this. 
So for my next review, we did Valentine, which is actually one that I did solo. That was one of my solo reviews. And this is one that I did enjoy. I did have, uh, I did have fun with it. Um, as I said, if in my solo review, if you have ever watched a Murder, She Wrote episode, you know who the killer is. Um, <laughs> it's, it, 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 it's pretty freaking obvious who the killer is, but it's a lot of fun. And I actually do want to use this opportunity. Uh, somebody left a comment. Um, I apologize. I don't know off the top of my head who it is. Um, you left a, they left a comment that said, um, the kills that the killer does replicate how he was treated at the beginning of the movie. Now, although I can't like recall those specific details, um, I do think that's a really, really cool premise. Um, I think that the kills are really cool. And as I said in my solo review, one of my favorite things about this killer is that the weapon is inconsistent every single time. And I thought that was really cool. I thought that was a really cool deviation from what we normally get in slasher movies of this caliber. Because this came out around Scream. This came around out around Urban Legends. This came out around I Know What You Did Last Summer. This formula had been done ad nauseum at the point that this movie came out. But it still managed to be a lot of fun. Now with that said... It manages to be bad in a fun way. It manages to be cheesy in every way. It manages to be kind of not the greatest movie you're going to see for sure. But it is a fun ride to be sure. And definitely one worth checking out, especially if around Valentine's Day, you're like me and you're sitting here going, I don't care. Or you're sitting here brooding because you know who you are. But this is a movie definitely worth checking around out around the Valentine season. Because who the hell wants to watch Hallmark? So I would say that I would rate this movie. I don't remember what the rating was I gave to it. As I said, not as good as at, at Letterboxd as Mike is. But I think looking back on it now, after a little bit of time, I give it a 6 out of 10. Give it a six out of ten. Well, as you can see here, I've rated this on I. Well, Why as, didn't like this? <laughs> well, as you can see here, I rated this a two out of ten the last time I watched this. Um, I, I the last time I watched this, I hated it. Yeah, hated it. I thought I was going to. Now, with that being said, I had to pull some clips for this. Um, when I made, I think it was my Freddy versus Jason solo review. Um, and I had to watch some of the kills and stuff to pull clips. Um, thoroughly, thoroughly impressive and entertaining as far yeah. as the kills go. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, the it's kills fun. in this are killer. <laughs> yeah. Get it? Um, <laughs> the the drill kill specifically inside of the uh, hot tub is awesome. That is a awesome kill. Um, I just my favorite part but, about that kill is like it really it, without being able to see their face and I'm sorry to interrupt you but I have to because it's my favorite part of this movie I love how he's just drilling through it and it's almost like he gets sick of chasing her and so he's like screwed yeah. and just throws the drill in yeah. there. It's like it, it, it almost the only thing that could have made it better was if he like looked at it and just looked at her and looked at it and just <laughs> tossed it into the hot tub or just like <laughs> just like a visual <sighs> yeah, <laughs> but no, I, I mean, I, I probably should rewatch this. 
Um, and I know I would enjoy it more now if I watched it the, than the last time I rated it a two out of 10, but, uh, yeah, Valentine's Valentine, you know, it's, it is what it is. It is. <laughs> so for my next watch, if you watched my, uh, I, what I watched in January, which I will link down below and up top here, you will know that I've been rewatching a lot of Rob Zombie movies. And for me, uh, I had never seen three from hell, which is the conclusion of the quote firefly trilogy, which is house of a thousand corpses, the devil's rejects and three from hell. Um, this was a first time watch for me. I had never gotten around for to three from hell. Um, and I gotta say, I really enjoyed it. I think each one of these movies in this trilogy gets continuously better, especially when you compare it to house of a thousand corpses, which for me personally is my favorite Rob zombie movie, because you can tell he was having a lot of fun making that. And then with the devil's rejects, you could tell that he was really flexing his, his special effects and writing muscle. Well, three from hell takes everything that he's learned from 31 and the previous firefly movies, as well as um, some of his other films. And he really flexes what he can do in this movie. I think this is a ton of fun. Rob Zombie is terrible at writing dialogue. Generally, there's some pretty damn good dialogue in here. Sherry Moon Zombie is way better in this than she is in Lords of Salem. I think Lords of Salem made her look like, for lack of a better word, a terrible actress. Um, and, and she does a lot better in three from hell. Now, granted, she doesn't have to show much emotion in three from hell and she kind of just plays a maniac which is part of the charm but she's very good at playing a maniac and and also bill mosley is in this richard brake is in this they're all awesome and it is a fantastic conclusion to the firefly trilogy if you have never watched all three of these movies you gotta watch them they get better with each movie and each one of them has its own specific vibe and feels different and when you're talking about a trilogy, most of the time, that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, yeah. But with this, it really wraps up everything really nicely, even with um, Captain Spaulding and Otis and, and all of that stuff. It wraps everything up really, really nicely. And I really, really enjoyed Three from Hell. So I went ahead and gave this a 7 out of 10. I think on a, on a rewatch, this, this might actually go higher. Um, and I have found myself... Being a much bigger fan of Rob Zombie's movies than I initially thought that I was. I have always really loved his music, but I've always kind of thought that his movies were kind of mediocre. But um, Three from Hell, ton of fun. And so now I feel like I need to go back and rewatch his Halloween movies. I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about those when I do go back and rewatch them. But Three from Hell is fantastic and it's an awesome conclusion to this trilogy. So Three from Hell, 7 out of 10, a lot of fun. And I definitely suggest it if you haven't seen it. Not for the faint of heart. <laughs> have you Shocking. Seen, have you seen Three from Hell? No, this is actually the only one in the trilogy. I, I, I actually, I didn't know this was part of the trilogy. Um, yeah. I didn't know it was a trilogy. Yeah, um, so I didn't either I'm gonna really for the this. longest time. I like I like House of a Thousand Corpses. I like The Devil's Rejects. Uh, yeah. And if I liked those and you say this one's good, I don't see any reason why I wouldn't like this one. Yeah, and, and they're very much of the same ilk. Um, like I said, they feel like very different movies, but at the same time, that's not a bad thing. You can mm -hmm. see Rob Zombie becoming a better filmmaker with each movie, and that is mm -hmm. really fun to watch, especially, I think, House of a Thousand Corpses is like 98 or 99. So there's like almost 20 oh, years of difference God, between, between that and Three from Hell. So it's like, it's really interesting to watch and it's a lot of fun. 
Do I get my early bird discount at Denny's yet? Jesus Christ. I know, right? Dude. We're, we're, we're old men. So, good times. Okay. Uh, well, the next one I watched was Gone with the Wind because I'm 80 years old. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but it was Lame as a Raw. No, oh, God damn it. Okay, so my next watch uh, was Lame as a Raw. Um, <laughs> I'm. <laughs> I'm You're not gonna have saying... to specify which one because there are okay. apparently a million of these. There are a million of them. I watched the one from 2012 with Hugh Jackman, and I gotta say, I am not a fan of musicals. Uh, there are a there are a few here and there that I like. Um, however, Les Miserables holds a special place in my heart because uh, I don't know if we've ever, ever said this before, but Mike and I were totally band nerds back in the day. Um, uh, Mike was in the percussion because uh, that's where the cool kids were. (laughs) And I played clarinet because my family's Italian and they wanted me to play the clarinet. I forgot you played clarinet. I played the clarinet. True. True story. And you know what? I was Good at it. You were. You were pretty good at it. <laughs> but no, so um, here's the thing with Les Miserables for me. Um, two things really hold a special place in my heart from when I was a kid, and they were introduced to me by my third grade teacher, Mrs. Baker. Mrs. Baker, you'll never see that. If you ever do, shout out. You were awesome. She got me into Phantom of the Opera, which to this day can still bring me to tears, depending on how many shots of vodka I'd consumed. <laughs> and Les Miserables were the two songbooks that I played the most of. Um, anybody that's been in band will know they give you scales, they give you all sorts of exercises. I never did any of those. I wanted to play Phantom of the Opera and Les Miserables. And this is a good movie the music's good um i will say uh the 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 uh russell crowe's voice is horrendous um it, it, it's it's terrible he is just awful in this movie <laughs> but I mean, he's, he's barely Jack- good at speaking. I can't imagine he's he, good at he's barely singing. Good at, well, you know, you watch him in Gladiator, and you're like, oh, shit. And then you watch him in this, and you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> and so the thing is, though, like, Hugh Jackman's really good in it. Now, the thing they did with Les Miserables is it's all live singing. So everything on set, all the singing that you hear in the movie is actually on set, as if you were going to see it in a theater which is a really, really cool concept. The problem is it is completely obliterated by the just terrible cinematography. The cinematography in this movie is bad. Really? It's, yeah, yeah. It's it's really, really bad. And I don't mean the lighting. I mean the camera work. We have these beautiful sets, these beautiful scenarios and scenes that are just whittled down to nothing with these close-ups and this weird editing. It's almost like they don't, they, it's almost like they didn't trust the actors to give the performance they needed within the scene and the scope that they're in. Because I'm telling you, man, the scenes, we get some wide shots in here where you can tell these sets are gorgeous. And if I was the pro, if I was the uh, the production designer on this movie, I would have been pissed about how they shot this thing. Because I'm telling you, it's a lot of close-ups. Some of them feel like they're like 
close-ups at like a 24 millimeter lens. And uh, some of you may not know what that means, but what it means is you get this weird distortion. Mike knows what I'm talking about. Yep. You get this weird distortion. It works really well in horror films. Uh, a Cure for Wellness is a great example where they shot a lot on 17 to 24 millimeter lenses because it gives this distortion that makes everything feel awkward. But when, when he says got... distortion, he's talking about a really wide angle. So you get yeah. straight lines that look like they're curved and stuff like that. Right. Right. And so that was my biggest gripe with this movie. Other than Russell Crowe, I'm, I'm going to say Russell Crowe's the worst part of this movie. <laughs> He's the worst part of this movie. Um, he, he, he can't sing. The dude can't sing. To so save weird. His life. They gave him that part. If he, like, he, they had well, to hear he, him sing first, right? He hits a couple of good low notes. He, I, I think what it was is they gave him a singing part that is beyond his vocal range. We all have a specific vocal range and the part they gave him is not his vocal range. Um, but it's also why a lot of theater actors are, or especially opera singers, are not going to be in a film. Like that, it's because like the, the the environment they belong in is where they belong. But um, Anne Hathaway gives an in, just an incredible performance. Hugh Jackman is amazing in this. There is a scene towards the beginning of him coming out, and I can't remember the exact song, but he's coming out and he's talking about how he's going to take back his life and everything. And it's this performance that just, I mean, I've got goosebumps, literally goosebumps right now just thinking about it. It's incredible. Wow. And then Russell. Well, I, I'm seeing here, it's also Sasha Baron Cohen is in this? Yeah, he's got a small part in that. Um, uh, Helena Bonham Carter is in it. They, they they actually play this this really, really funny couple. Um, it's a, I'm telling you, man, it's it's really good. Um, it's, it's an amazing, amazing opportunity ruined by bad camera work, bad editing, and probably what comes down to bad directing. Interesting. So I would say if I was going to rate it, I, I, I hate to give it this rating because so many elements in this movie don't deserve the rating, but I'm going to give it a five out of 10. It's if, if the, if the camera work, cinematography, editing, and direction had been half as good as the performances that these incredibly talented people give in this movie, it would have gotten a much higher rating, but it's not, it's so weird because how many times have we reviewed a movie that was ruined by the camera work and only saved a little bit by the acting? I mean, I can't think of one. No. That's crazy. Yep. Especially with a with a movie like this. Like you would yeah. you would assume that they really like I'm just imagining how to film that and in my brain I'm I'm thinking I could make that beautiful. Mm -hmm. Uh and then, then what you're saying just doesn't add up. That's crazy. Like dude, dude, use the jib more. <laughs> use the jib. <laughs> I know you had one. I saw the shots you used it on. Use it more. Okay, well, my next watch is something really weird and out there. Um, and it's it may be good that it follows what you just talked about. Uh, this is called Last and First Men. This is quite possibly the most pretentious movie I've ever watched in my entire life. And okay, if you know me, say, that's saying a lot. I was just about to say, <laughs> if you're saying that, that is something. The synopsis is, as the end approaches... The last humans living millions of years into the future send a message to the humanity of the present that is both a plea for help and a warning. 
but also an epic tale of evolution, decline, and hope. So essentially, this movie is kind of a letter sent from people millions of years in the future. Basically, this movie is a really abstract, if you if you can see the screenshot here, and I apologize to the audio listeners, um, but it is a black and white architectural abstract sort of a photo. The entire movie is full of images like this. There are no actors. There are no, what I would describe what? as scenes. There's nothing concrete that I can give you other than the synopsis that I read. The only person that is in it is Tilda Swinton, and she narrates it. I hate this. Why? It just sounds douchey. Continue. (laughs) Carry on. It's essentially a letter from people millions of years into the future sending a uh, message back to the people of the present and sort of giving them an idea of what is going to happen throughout the millions of years. And if you have ever sat down and watched something like the time machine, for example, you know, Mm -hmm. when, when in the time machine, he goes super far into the future and that feeling you get of like, Oh, I have no idea what this is going to be like. Mm -hmm. Um, That's this on crack. It's essentially Tilda Swinton reading Um, this letter to the people of the present and all of the work is done by your brain. And in in a way, what I I mean by that is they, most movies tend to shy away from you using your imagination by showing Mm -hmm. you everything that they want you to experience on screen. This is the exact opposite of that. And, And I will read you my review. I've never felt the weight of an entire species before, but somehow this did just that. Surprising, mentally entertaining, hard to grasp, everything, yet somehow nothing. This made me go through it all and gave me a feeling that not many films have. There's this deep sense of anxiety when you're imagining what life is like this far into the future. An existence no one in our family trees will ever experience. There's a sense of longing for a future I will never know, and yet somehow I come away with a sense of contentment. The brutal architecture, shot in black and white with an accompanying composition, really do a great job of making me feel okay with an end. It's funny. What starts out as a strange sense of anxiety from these images slowly morphs into an acceptance and I'm strangely happy about it. This is, I I, honestly, dude, I was, I had no idea what this was when I clicked on it. It's directed by Johan Johansson. He is a photographer who I believe has since passed away since he made this. This is, I believe his only film. And so that, that kind of explains why it is the way it is and super pretentious and the architecture and all that stuff. Dude. So it, it sounds like a real estate video. With narration. I don't know if you would like this. Um, it doesn't sound but, like I would. But dude, I I mean, I, I still feel the way I felt about this shot. three minutes after I watched it. I really enjoyed this. Not everybody is going to get it. Not everybody is going to enjoy it. But for those who, who do get it and do enjoy it, this is meaningful in a way that most movies are not. And and I really, really enjoyed this. I rated this an 8 out of 10. I did not rate it wow. a 10 out of 10, strictly because um, it's mo- it's film, and and you use moving images and actresses and, and, and all yeah. that stuff for, an, for a yeah. reason. Um, right. But for what this is and what it's trying to be, this is spectacular, and I really, really enjoyed it. Okay, so for my next one, we have another TV show. Um, I have been watching 
Boardwalk Empire. I will watch anything with Steve Buscemi in it. I I love him. I I I don't think I've ever seen something I didn't like him in, even when he's in Thirty Rock. Going, hey fellow kids, he's great in that. He's he's so good, but he is phenomenal in this show. Um, now I will say this is written by uh, the same guy who wrote The Sopranos, so you are going to get kind of a lot of the same vibes. This is, um, I could see why people would find it boring because these kinds of shows, the way this guy writes, I can't remember the name, his name off the top of my head. He's very about letting us into the lives of the characters that we're seeing, which can come off boring. Um, I've actually had somebody else tell me that they found it to be boring. They only watched two or three episodes, but to me, we're re- first of all, you got to understand this is all based on a true story. Boardwalk Empire is based off a, on a, a real person named Nucky Thompson. Um, the people in it, we've got Lucky Luciano. Um, we've got, uh, Chucky, Chalky White, I don't think was, uh, real. Um, we've got Al Capone in here. Um, and all the actors in this movie are, or in this show are phenomenal. The performances are astounding. The, um, the, uh, the, the, the cinematography is amazing. The writing is just it's so good and then of course there's also the fact that it's a period piece period pieces are probably my favorite form of entertainment whether it be tv shows movies uh podcasts uh documentaries whatever it is i love period pieces i'm also sucker for nostalgia and there is something about kind of going back in time and seeing things portrayed in a time that you're unfamiliar with and this takes place around prohibition and so it is about kind of like you know crime around the prohibition area but it really really like it, it really goes in some weird directions there's a lot of drama but again a lot of this is about telling these stories and it's very intelligently written. Uh, there's a lot of politics involved. There's a lot of crime involved. There's just, there's a lot of moving pieces in this show. I don't want to, that doesn't mean that it's all over the place, but there are a lot of moving pieces, almost in a kind of soap opera kind of way, where you have a lot of different stories that kind of, but they still end up tying in together. Um, now, Boardwalk Empire obviously has been off the air for, you know, many years. This is one I'm just now kind of getting around to, but this is one that I found myself, it's, it, it's one of those shows where you go, I can watch one more hour. I can watch one more hour. I can watch one more hour. (laughs) And then it's 2 a.m. and you're getting four hours of sleep before you have to wake up. It's one of those shows. I love Boardwalk Empire. If I'm going to give it a rating, I'm probably going to give this. I'm going to rate it overall because it's very easy to rate, you know, episodes as episodes. But as a show overall, I'm going to give this a 7 out of 10. Wow. You know, I've tried to watch Boardwalk Empire a couple times, and I, I find myself kind of on that getting bored side of it. Yeah. Um, but all I've heard is how amazing this show is. So It's phenomenal. I have watched one or two episodes, and I did semi-enjoy it, but it was never one of those things that I felt like I needed to go through and, like, finish. Yeah. Um, um, but- I will say, um, I, I thought Game of Thrones had a lot of sex scenes in it. Holy shit. 
There is like there is a plethora of nudity and sex scenes in this. Um, some of them I'm not quite sure they were <laughs> necessary, but we're also there's also a lot of uh, scenes that take place in brothels, which uh, especially back then were a huge thing when combined with like speakeasies. So it's um, it's not so much the nudity, but there are uh, there are some awkward relationships in here. All I'm going to say is the name James. You will have to find out on your own what that means. But very very good overall. Very very good. My next watch is a movie from again director Mickey Keating from 2016 called Carnage Park. Part crime caper gone awry, part survival horror. 1970s set thriller depicts a harrowing fight for survival after a pair of wannabe crooks botch a bank heist and flee into the desert where they inexplicably stumble upon Carnage Park, a remote stretch of wilderness occupied by a psychotic ex-military sniper. So this is kind of a slasher with a gun. Um, and instead of a knife, he's using a sniper rifle. This is very Tarantino-esque. You can tell Mickey Keating took a lot of inspiration from Tarantino in this, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but there are moments in this where it's just like, you know, maybe um, come up with some originality. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and that's not to say that Tarantino is 100% original, obviously, um, Tarantino Kill Bill, steals Reservoir Dogs direct ripoffs. Just putting. I, that I out mean, there. yes, Tarantino is a is a very well known. Uh, I I won't say thief. I will say um, plagiarist. <laughs> he does a lot of um, references. We'll call them references um, to other older movies, and Mickey Keating does that, but with Tarantino. So this almost feels like a copy of a copy in a way. If you know anything about me, you'll know that I do love Mickey Keating. I bring this movie up. I've already brought it up once in this, in this podcast. Uh, Darling is phenomenal and I love it. And, and he is one of my more favorite directors right now. Last month I watched Mickey Keating's off season and I loved it. And it made me want to go back and watch some of his back catalog that I have not seen. He does not have a huge filmography, um, but I have now seen everything that he's ever done. Carnage Park is pretty damn good. It is far from his best work. Um, but like I said, it is a slasher, but with a sniper rifle. And you don't see that very often. Most of the time, uh, the, the killer is chasing people with a knife or a, some melee weapon of some kind. Or a hammer. Or a hammer. Um, but in this, it is a sniper rifle. So the guy that actually plays the killer in this, he has a brother who is a cop and who kind of covers for him a little bit. Um, and that is played by Alan Ruck, who is, if you have seen oh, Succession, if you've yeah. seen Sarah Ferris Bueller's Day Off, um, he has a, a smaller part in this, but he absolutely kills it. And Carnage Park is a lot of fun. If you're into, if you're into horror, slasher, survival horrors, um, there's a, just a, just a tinge of like noir in here. Um, it's really fun. And, and like I said, it's far from Mickey Keating's best work. Um, but as far as Mickey Keating movies go, I always know, I, I never know whether I'm going to like them, but I always know that they're going to be an amazingly well-made movie. And that's exactly what this is. 
Um, and I like this more than some of the other stuff like Psychopaths, for example. I was not a huge fan of Pod. Um, stuff like that is not my favorite from him. But Carnage Park is is way better than his worst movies and not quite as good as, as his best movies. Uh, but I can totally, totally recommend watching Carnage Park if you're into survival horror. I rated Carnage Park a 6 out of 10. If you're looking for something that's a little bit dirtier, a little bit grimier, has a lot of style and um, some really cool gore some really cool special effects and just a really cool premise and kind of a different weird take on the slasher carnage park super dope six out of ten nice okay so for my next movie uh this is another one that i watched fresh off at disneyland and it is 101 dalmatians and i actually happen to know that this is one of mike's if not mike's favorite classic disney movies am i right yep absolutely um there's just something about this movie. It's the animation. Yeah. It's the animation. It's the animation and the artwork uh, because there is not a lot of depth in 101 Dalmatians like there is with Peter Pan. Uh, but there is, there's something about it. The, uh, the the performance of Cruella de Vil in this is phenomenal. Um, I'm not going to take any away from what Glenn Close did in the live action, but you just can't match the insanity of what you get with the original and there, and I really think Cruella DeVille really, really makes this movie, but there's also a lot of fun Easter eggs in 101 Dalmatians. Um, almost all of the dogs from lady and the tramp are in it. Um, they don't speak, but they do make appearances, uh, mostly in like pet stores, stuff like that. But, uh, but 101 Dalmatians, I don't have like a ton of, to really say about it, I don't have the reference to the book like I do with Peter Pan to the play, but overall, it's just it, it, it's a it's another classic Disney animated movie that it, it was just is it's just it came out at the height of what Disney was really trying to achieve, what Walt Disney was really really trying to achieve, and uh, he had a huge affinity for dogs. So I think that this and Lady of the Tramp were two of those movies that were just inevitable for him to create. And uh, yeah, if you, I mean, I'm sure we've all seen 101 Dalmatians. Again, not a lot to say here about this. It's just one that I happen to go back and watch again. Um, and it's just every time I watch it, it, it reaffirms for me how good this movie is. I will say the very beginning is very clever because um, they do introduce it as if we're looking at this from the human's perspective and it does have that shift when they're in the studio apartment to showing us that, oh no, Roger's the pet, not Pongo. And so I uh, o overall, it's just, it's a good movie about loyalty, friendship, family, which are all really just classic values that we find in Disney movies. And I give it, I give it an eight out of 10. It's no Peter Pan, but it is a damn good movie. Yeah, I would definitely go higher than that. Uh, this is the one that I have the most nostalgia over and yeah. it's just so good. I grew up with like the wall stickers of Dalmatians all over my walls and the movie posters and just all of it. This is one of those movies that like hits me right in the feels. Okay, so my next movie is wildly different than my last. Um, this is the um, new movie called You People from Netflix. It's directed by Kenya Barris. Um, this is just a pretty straightforward comedy. It's got Jonah Hill, Eddie Murphy, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, 
there's a bunch of other people Tell in this. David, David Duchovny. Um, yeah, dude, there's a ton of really good people. Mike Epps is in this. Rhea Perlman. There's a ton of great people in this. Um, Mike Epps in his newest debut since 1997. <laughs> well, that's mean. Um, but, but either way, this is like kind of a straightforward comedy about Jonah Hill falling in love with a girl who happens to be black. And it's kind of about their um, relationship and how coming from two wildly different places can prove to be difficult when trying to make a relationship work. Um, and with that simple premise, you can do a lot within that. Uh, Eddie Murphy is somebody that I have not seen in a movie in a very long time. I'm sure he's been doing stuff, uh, but I have not watched any of the stuff I'll, that he's done in a I'll very long time. I'll watch him in anything. But he's great. Eddie Murphy plays somebody who is not super fond of white people. And um, Jonah Hill plays somebody who is a podcaster and, and podcasts about, as he puts it, quote, the culture. Uh, rap music, hip hop, sneakers, the whole graffiti, the whole thing. Um, and so, you know, basically Eddie Murphy sees him as kind of what, what one might call a culture vulture. He does it in a very respectful way. And in a way okay. that doesn't feel forced and doesn't feel, okay. um, culture vultury in, in mm. for lack of a better word. Um, but you know, he is dating Eddie Murphy's daughter. And so Eddie Murphy being somebody who is not super fond of white people, he sees this kid dating his daughter who has also got this podcast about hip hop and the culture as he calls it. And he immediately dislikes him. And the movie is essentially about these two trying to overcome the stupidity that is both of their families and just have a relationship. Um, you know, for for a standard rom-com, this is not terrible. If you find race-based humor, something that that is, uh, you know, funny to you, you will probably enjoy this. If you find it cringy, you will cringe your way through this entire movie because it is exactly what you think it is with the, with the movie called You People. Um, and, I, and I, 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 I like race-based humor in any direction. Like, like I love Paul Mooney and that dude rips on white people just yeah. left and right. I also, I also like things like David Cross. I like, I, I like, uh, like, like a lot of other comedians that do that too. It's funny. It's funny. It can be funny it and it's okay be. for it to be funny. Yeah. And I, I definitely agree with that, which is why I gave this a shot. Jonah Hill comes from a Jewish family. So it's the whole sort of Jewish is he you Jewish know, in the movie? American, yeah, yeah. Oh, they nice. uh, nice. Julia, That's great. Julia Louis Dreyfus plays his mom. They all wear yarmulkes. <laughs> nice. That's they go awesome. To, you know, they go to church and all that stuff. Um, yeah. So there's some really funny stuff in here, um, but overall, it was hard for me to get past the cringiness of the race-based humor, uh, yeah. and so I ended up rating this a four out of ten. Other people, I'm sure, are going to like this more than I liked it. I am not the target audience for this. Um, yeah. But when I did watch it, I did find it funny and I did enjoy it. Um, but for me, it just it, it's kind of standard paint by numbers rom com, which is not necessarily well, a bad thing. But I am not the target audience for that. And I think that movies like that are super important in this day and age. We need to learn that it's okay to laugh at differences. You can have humor like that without being... There's a difference between racial humor and racist humor. Yes. There's always been a difference. And I like these kinds of movies because even if I'm not the demographic or even if it's like, like, like with Paul Mooney. Paul Mooney's a great example. I'm 
the I'm the demographic that that dude is going after. He's coming after us with a million daggers in the air. And you know what? It's still funny. Dave Chappelle, Eddie Murphy, Chris Rock, they all do it. And Chris Rock's a great example because he makes fun of everyone. And that's why I like this stuff, because even if I'm not the demographic for it, I can still respect the humor behind it. And you know what? If you don't like it, just don't watch it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and You People is pretty damn good for what it is. I think the fact that it's been on Netflix's trending list for as long as it has yeah. says something about it. Sure. Um, and, and just because I don't hundred percent get it doesn't mean this is a bad film. The cinematography's right. good. The lighting's great. The writing is smart. Um, and, and all in all, this is a pretty solid movie. I'm just not the target demo for it. So fair enough. Okay. So moving on. Okay. So for my next one, we have another TV show. This is good omens. Uh, this is actually based off of a Neil Gaiman book. Oh. Um, it is also adapted for TV by Neil Gaiman, which when you when you have the, the, the person that made the original content adapting it for TV, usually you're going to end up with something good. And this is a fun, this is, I will say this, if you are religious, you are probably not going to like this because it makes light of religion in every aspect, but I'm not, I don't care. So I loved it. It's, it's, it's basically about, uh, the buildup to Armageddon and an angel and a demon who have been on earth since the very, very beginning, realizing that what they've built and what they've got on earth they've actually got it pretty sweet and so they're not trying to end armageddon for any other reason than they don't want to end the sweet situation they've built for themselves on earth <laughs> and it's really really cool you get the the, the guy that pay, plays gabriel is this just like he's got this like salesman vibe about him and it's really cool. You've got uh, you've got a couple of demons from hell that are constantly like bearing over uh, 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 um, uh, Crowley. Uh, it's really funny because when the series starts, his name is Crawley, but he changes his name to Crowley because he doesn't like the image of him crawling on the ground. That's his excuse. That's what he says in the show. He does. He he's, he says at some point something like, "My name's Crowley now." Crawley just seems so crawly. <laughs> and and it's, it's really well written. The cinematography is really, really good. And there's a lot of really witty uh, British humor. It is a British show. And it's basically, like I said, it's about an angel and a demon. They just don't want the world to end because they like the situation that they've got. Um, there's uh, there's actually one point in the show where the Antichrist gets switches gets switched up. So instead of going to the political family he's supposed to go to, he goes to this really really loving family, and they uh, and the demons of hell give him this hellhound. But since he's been brought up in this sweet family, it changes from like a Rottweiler to like a terrier. <laughs> 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 it's it's really really funny it's really dark at times and uh there was actually a petition at one point by religious groups to get the show shut down uh to show you how well that went they got wow. twenty thousand subscribers and they sent it to i think it was i think they sent it to netflix even though it's an hbo max show uh, it's a prime 
Or at least that's what this is. That's right. That's right. So let me try that again. So to to give you an idea, at what at one point there was actually a petition made by a religious group that received all of like twenty thousand signatures, and to show you the kind of you know state of mind of these people, they sent it to Netflix. Except that the show is on Amazon Prime, <laughs> so they couldn't even get that right. But it's it's just, it's it's such a good show. But again, like I said. It really is. It, it, I don't want to say it makes fun of religion, but it definitely makes light of religion. So do keep that in mind going into it. Um, if that's something that offends you, maybe go ahead and skip this one. However, if the stick isn't that far up there, definitely go check this out because it's a good one. They've got a new season coming out soon, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. And this is one uh, Brittany and I basically just binge watch as much as we possibly could. All right. Oh. Yeah. I've, I've not heard of this, but that actually sounds like a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, rating wise, I'm going to give this, I'm going to give it an eight out of 10, maybe, maybe an eight and a half out of 10. It's not, no. it, it, it's not, it's not perfect by any means, but it is damn good. I like Michael Sheen. I like David yeah. Tennant too. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the chemistry between the two of them on screen is phenomenal. Those two are so good together. Nice. My next watch is Everything Everywhere All at Once. This is a massive, massive movie right now from A24, directed Heard by the Daniels. Things. Hmm? Heard nothing but good things. It's I saw it in theaters. Uh, it's, it's had an extended theatrical run because it's done so well. It's won all sorts of awards. Uh, I won't spend a ton of time on this. Everyone knows how good this is. It's essentially a multiverse movie about a family and everything that they are going through and the existential crisis that the daughter is kind of having as well as the mother. And it's just, dude, it's just incredible. I won't even spend time like trying to break it down. It's just great. And, and I loved it so much and it's really, really long. Uh, but I didn't think about how long it was one time. It's meta. It's deep. It's interesting. It's fun. It's full of action. It's got everything in this movie and it works and it all works really, really, really well. And I really loved this movie. This was one of the first tens that I've given out in a very, very wow. long time. Um, I absolutely love this movie. Everyone needs to see this, especially if you deal with a lot of anxiety, depression, um, any of that kind of stuff. Um, even though this deals with um, Chinese immigrants and, and specifically kind of through the lens of the struggles and stuff that they have and, and, and the anxiety and depression that goes along with that, uh, everyone that sees this can learn something from this. It's amazing and it's hard to believe that the Daniels made this, which are the same guys that made Swiss Army Man. <laughs> which oh, wow. if you know anything about Swiss Army Man, you know how crazy and weird it is. Same sort of a thing, but much deeper. It's much better than everything they've done that I have seen in the past. Uh, this is definitely a peak for them. I'm super interested to see what the Daniels do next. Uh, everybody in this movie does an amazing job. It's won Oscars. It's it, it, 
it is one of the few movies where when I see the entire world saying this is amazing, uh, that I actually agree. This is everything that everybody says it is. And if you haven't seen it, watch it for real. This is something that everybody needs to see. I rated this a 10 out of 10. Everything Everywhere All at Once. Incredible. Incredible. I won't even go super deep into it. I just just go watch this movie. Yeah, for this real. Is it one doesn't matter I, who you are. Go watch it. Yeah, this is one that I have uh, not personally watched, but dude, I've literally heard nothing but good things about it. I am so glad I saw this in theater. I made it a point to go see it in theater, even if I was super late to it. Um, it's dude, it's incredible, and it's everything everybody says it is. So, absolutely, absolutely amazing. All right, for my next one, because again, 36 going on 16, we have The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. This is a movie that I normally watch around Halloween, but again, got back from Disneyland, had to watch this because the uh, because Mr. Toad's Wild Ride is one of my favorite classic rides at Disneyland. It is one of the oldest rides at Disneyland. If you ever ride it, you will understand what I am talking about. And it is a it is an amazing amazing film, especially as someone who suffers from bipolar disorder. Um, Mr. Toad is a classic representation of bipolar disorder. Uh, back when it was called uh, Manic Depression, um, it's, it's, uh, you see him go through his manias. They even call them manias. And, uh, it, it, before getting into that, I should say this is a split film. Uh, I'm not sure what the technical term is, but it's basically two short films crammed into one. And if I'm not mistaken, it was one of the first films that Disney actually did like this. Um, as I said, uh, the portion of the film that is about Mr. Toad, um, most people are familiar with it, but it's basically him getting framed for something he didn't do, trying to get out of it, and uh, it's a result of his mania. Again, every time I watch this movie, I find a personal connection to Mr. Toad because I can relate to the manic depression aspect of it and basically the people around him going like we don't understand what why you are the way that you are um it if you are so just like mike said as somebody who deals with anxiety and depression you might appreciate everywhere uh, everything everywhere all at once if you are somebody that deals with bipolar disorder you are going to appreciate the character of Mr. Toad. It's also just that, cla again, that classic Disney animation that we've all come to know and love. Um, and it's, it's, it's a great film. This now moving on to the story of, uh, Ichabod Crane. It is of course the headless horseman story from, uh, Irving Washington, I believe was his name. Um, and it's, uh, this one is not so much, there's not a lot of depth to it. It's just a fun story. It's, it's just a really fun telling of the, uh, uh, of the story of the Headless Horseman and Ichabod and Mr. Crane. And the funny thing is you could really almost watch this, um, in the same realm of like Sleepy Hollow because it actually plays out a lot like, Sleepy Hollow does without getting like too far into the characters the way Sleepy Hollow does. Um, there is a lot of similarities there. I almost feel like Tim Burton wanted to create that same story and keep to that story that we get from Irving Washington and Walt Disney 
while putting his own Burton-esque spin on it. So, um, again, this is one that I watched. This is definitely, I definitely, um, relate to the story of Mr. Toad more. Um, and if you're at the parks, go do Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. It is a great nostalgic old school type of ride. Yeah, it is. That's the one ride that, well, that and Pinocchio that I wish we had here at Disney World because it's yeah. uh, it's All not the here. We're not Disney World. Yeah, and and I really really miss it. That is one of the better rides there for yeah. sure. It's a Disney ride where you go to hell. How can yeah. you not like that? I mean, you know, on. it's it, it's funny. I was waiting in line, and this um uh for, for first of all to show my my, my disnerdism um and yeah, I'm I'm going with that unapologetically. Um, I'm waiting in line for the ride. Don't shake your head at me. I see you over there. Um. <laughs> I'm waiting in the ride, and first of all, uh, this mom and her daughter are talking, and they hear the song playing throughout the park, and the daughter was like, what is this? And without missing a beat, I looked at her, and I was like, this is the song from Encanto. And, and the mom looked at me, and she's like, thank you, that was driving us nuts. <laughs> and then we're waiting in line, and then I hear the daughter talking about and it's a little girl, like a little girl daughter talking about like well there's supposed to be a ride over uh, over here that uh that's scary for children but i can't remember which one it is and i didn't say anything but in my head i'm like it's the one you're on right now (laughs) it's this one you're gonna go to hell because you can't say that to a child as a strange older man no no you can but it is yes mike is correct uh mr toad goes to hell uh which is not something that is in the movie so it makes me go what were you doing walt why what did you do that for So uh, if I were going to give it a rating, I would give this, uh, I'm going to give this another eight out of 10. There's nothing about it. I don't like. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. I actually, I I actually own uh, the uh, storybook vinyl from the 1950s for, uh, for, for Mr. Toad and Ichabod Crane. Yeah. And we, and we play them every single year. All right. Well, my next watch is Suspiria from 2018. This is something I've had on my watch list for a very long time. And frankly, I have not watched it because of my love for the original movie. I have heard nothing but good things about the Suspiria remake, but for me, Argento kind of nailed the original. It's colorful, it's dark, it's mean-spirited, but it's also a lot of fun, and it's just an overall fantastic film. So when I learned that they were remaking Suspiria, um, I had... I had a lot of reservations about it, and because it's one of it's one of my more favorite Italian horror movies. And I've never seen what, it. Say what you want about Italian horror and giallos and stuff like that; they're not for everybody. But Suspiria is pretty like universally praised as like not only a good Italian horror movie, but just an amazing horror film in general. Mm-hmm. And so. When when you're talking about remaking a movie like that, you can you could really fuck it up really easily if you're not careful. And so I was worried about that. I heard I had heard good things about the remake, but I was still, you know, I was still really concerned that I was not going to like it. Well, it turns out I fucking loved this movie. Um Tilda Swinton, Mia Goth, Dakota Johnson, uh, Chloe you, more 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 reads. What's her name? I can't. Do remember you just her name. go after Tilda Swinton movies on purpose, or is that no? It just I, keeps no happening? Not really. It is strange that she's in two of the the movies, but so is Mia Goth that I watched this month. Um, 
And and honestly, dude, the, the Suspiria remake, if you've never seen the original, I, I feel like you don't actually have to have seen the original to really, really enjoy this remake. It praises the original, but also does its own thing. And I think if you're going to do a remake of something that is so beloved and a cult classic such as Suspiria, that's the way you have to do it. You can't do shot for shot like Psycho. Um, that that movie is so forgettable. The shot for shot remake of Psycho. Oh, do you remember God, that? Yeah. Um, oh you, God, yeah. You can't do something like that because it's it just comes off as like dumb. But Suspiria 2018 takes what the original Suspiria has and builds upon it. Now it's not nearly as colorful. It's not nearly as um, bright and vivid as the original is. It's definitely got it, the mid to late 2010s vibe to it as far as mm-hmm. like the, the cinematography and the color grade and and all of that stuff but there is a really but there's a really fucking intense movie in here and I absolutely loved it I, since you have not seen Suspiria I will not go super in depth to what it's all about um but essentially it's about it's about a group of dancers and some really dark crazy stuff that's going on within this group of dancers like and black swan darker I have never seen black swan so I couldn't tell you Oh okay um, I am willing to bet Black Swan probably borrows a lot of the um, overall vibe and stuff from the original Suspiria. Now, the original Suspiria does not does not go nearly as in depth with the whole dance company dancing thing. The remake that's a huge part of it, and this is elevated for lack of a better term. This is an art house movie, um, but it's phenomenal and really accessible. And anybody that has not seen the original Suspiria, but would like to, I would actually say, go ahead and watch the 2018 version. It's incredible. And I absolutely loved it. The ends, the ending is so perfect. And I loved it so much. I walked away from this really, really surprised at how much I enjoyed a remake and that does not happen very often. Does so, that say 192 <laughs> minutes? Say what? Does that say 192 minutes? It says 152 minutes. Oh but. my god. I was like <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> no, it's 152 minutes. It is long. Still, still um, yeah. It is really long, but I didn't think about the runtime once in this. Not one yeah. single time. And and Dakota Johnson is awesome. Uh, Mia Goth is really good, although she does not have nearly as big of a part as um, some You're of her other... You're also a bigger fan of hers than I am. Say what? You're also a much bigger fan of hers than I am. I would am. not call myself a fan of Mia Goth. I, w- I would oh, not. Oh, no? Um, she's okay. just in a... She is really good at choosing movies. She Fair is enough. in movies that I tend to love. Not necessarily yeah. her, but she is. She knows who to work with, and she knows mm-hmm. what scripts to pick. Um, and so for me, I absolutely love Suspiria 2018. I rated this a 9 out of 10. This does have some pacing issues, um, and I can't give it a 10 out of 10 because that's what I give the original. Um, and it is not better than the original in my opinion. I tried to show the, the original to Nicole one time, and she was bored by 15 minutes in. And so it's not super accessible in the same way that the 2018 is. Um, but if you're really into art house and, and just creepy horror in general, there's some really creepy shit in here. And the final act is just phenomenal. And I absolutely loved it. So Suspiria 2018, nine out of 10, super, super good. 
Okay, so for my next one, uh, this mirrors Mike's first one, which is oh, yeah. the 1999 version of House on Haunted Hill. This is one of my favorite horror remakes ever. It's so um, weird. This I know, I know, and I'm not going to sit here and say it's amazing. It is, but I'm not <laughs> going to say that. Um, this was out. So the thing about House on Haunted Hill. House and Haunted Hill was the first like gory horror movie I ever saw with my dad. And we actually went and saw this in theaters and we went, I've got a lot of nostalgia with this because he actually convinced my mom. Eh, it's not that bad. Um, mom, I'm sorry if you watch this, but it's been 20 years. You got to get over it. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it, it's, it's a little bit different. Uh, Jeffrey Rush is in this, and Jeffrey Rush is great in this. Uh, he even supports the Vincent Price stash in it. Um, cool. We've got uh, Faye Jennings, I believe is her name. Uh, we got Chris Kattan. Uh, we've got the girl who is not... Um, can never remember her name, but she plays the uh, producer who is not a producer. Um, anyway, uh, kind of similar... Uh, to the original, but not really. Uh, there's actually like kind of a, an asylum vibe thrown into this, and I really kind of like that aspect to it. There's something about old asylums that I've always found very interesting and creepy, like even from like a historical point of view. And so this is really up my alley as far as that goes. But the uh, the deaths are really cool in it. Anybody that's watched uh, these for uh, our episodes for an extended amount of time knows that supernatural horror is my favorite subgenre of horror. And this is a ghost story. It is a ghost story about a lot of really pissed off ghosts. <laughs> And uh, basically, uh, Faye is her name. Look, look at it. Is it Faye Jennings? Jansen. Jansen. Thank you. Thank you. She was also an X Men, and she's really, really good in X Men. Uh, Faye Jansen uh, is having a birthday party. Um, she has a really contentious uh, marriage with uh, Jeffrey Rush's character, and uh, they decide to have it in this old asylum. The people that she invited are not the ones that show up, and horror ensues. Um, Tay Diggs is in this, being his Tay Diggsiest. Um, he <laughs> is, I mean, he is just, he's Tay Diggs. Uh, he is, you know, he's always Tay Diggs. And uh, he, let's just, let, let, let's just all admit that Tay Diggs looks like Tay Diggs did 30 years ago, but he still looks like, I don't know what he's doing. It's that Oriel <laughs> regimen he's got going on or something, but he's doing it right. But it's just, it's a lot of fun. That's really what this is to me. It's a lot of fun. There's not really a lot to write home about in this movie. Um, it's, it's not horribly creative although some of the scenes are creative um it's not exceptional in any means whatsoever it's just it's just a ton of fun i actually i actually it's sitting right there it's right there and i uh i, I every time i watch it i have a lot of fun with it if you do have a chance to watch the uh the deleted scenes uh, like I did, you should go watch the deleted scenes. They give a little bit more backstory on the characters, but all, all in all, this is not a movie that, um, it's not really a movie you get into for anything in particular other than to have a good time. And it's got, 
it it's it, it's at the cusp of the early 2000s and everything from cinematography to the soundtrack reeks of late 90s early 2000s and it's just it's just a fun ride the whole time um the sequel is not don't bother with it just watch this one twice what's funny is they had to up the ten thousand dollars to a million yeah which is why <laughs> Otherwise I wrote, nobody would do it for ten thousand dollars which is and, and that's the thing i knew we were gonna do this one and that's why when you said ten thousand i was like oh that's right that's because ten thousand used to be a good amount of money also jeffrey combs is in this so Jeffrey that's, Combs. That's definitely something. He plays. He plays the doctor, doesn't he? He's from Reanimator. Yeah, yeah. He plays the uh, he plays the asylum head. Uh, so funny story in that. Um, uh, just to go into a little bit. Throughout the movie, he does not have any dialogue. If you watch the deleted scenes, he actually uh, he he's the ghost, but he actually is presenting the property to a couple, and it's a really no, creepy. Cool. It's yeah. a really creepy scene that never made it into the movie. But yeah, he's uh, he's talking to this couple about the asylum, trying to sell it to him, and at the very end of the deleted scene, he turns and you see that it's him. <laughs> and it's really cool. It's really creepy. And it never made it into the movie. But that's why I say if you go and watch the deleted scenes, it actually has some backstory to it. It's really fun. Like I said, this is a, a fun movie. It's not exceptional in any way whatsoever. Uh, Chris Katana is actually really good in it. And I was actually watching um, some behind the scenes stuff and interviews with the director. The funny thing is Chris Katana's character was never written to be funny. It's just the way he delivers his lines ended up coming out that way. And yeah. it's just, it, it's, it, it's, it's just, it's great. He's cynical. He's uh, he, it's very, very dry humor. Uh, at one point they're trying to figure out like what's going on. And he's just looking at him and he's going, it's the house. The house is pissed. <laughs> it's a fun ride. It's a really fun ride. And because it's just a fun ride, I'm still going to give it a seven and a half out of 10 because nothing about it's terrible. It's all fun. It's all good times. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely agree with that rating for sure. Well, my next movie was from last year. It's called X from director Ty West. This is a movie that I have had on my watch list since the moment it came out. This has some serious Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibes to it, the original. Uh, and that is really hard to do. I think Ty West is not somebody that I've had my eye on for a very long time. But I do like some of the stuff that I've seen in the past from him. Um and I am always eager to see what A24 is doing. They are always putting out really good shit. Uh, what's even more interesting about this is he put the sequel and or prequel of this movie out in the exact same year, which was Pearl. Pearl I have not seen yet. I've been holding on to that. I haven't watched it yet. But I did watch X. And all I heard was how incredible this was. And, and so I had really high expectations going into this. And generally speaking, when I have such high expectations about a movie, um, it, it fails to live up to those expectations because the movie has just been so overhyped and everybody just tells me how damn good it is. The menu is a great example of that. Um, uh, of everybody just saying it's so damn good. And then you watch it and you're kind of like, eh, it was okay. Uh, well, X 
actually lived up to those expectations that I had for it. Ty West knocks it out of the park. Mia Goth is great. Jenna Ortega's good. Kid Cudi is even really fucking amazing in this, which is not something I ever thought I would say ever. Kid Cudi is in this? Duty's great. He's great. Um, and, And all in all, this is a really fun slasher movie, but it's a slasher with a twist. And I won't go super into everything that goes in behind this movie uh, because I think the less you know going into this, the better. But this is about a group of young people making a porno and renting out a cabin um, on this elderly couple's farm. And so they go to shoot this thing and, and then night falls and everything starts to go crazy and a bunch of people die. That's all I'll say about it. Um, knowing that it is set in 1979, so it, it, it's really easy to get the uh, Texas Chainsaw vibes from it as far as it's on a farm. It's shot very much in the same way. The color grade is very similar. Um, and it is, and it's really a callback to the old school, late seventies horror movies, but in, say, a re- but in a really original and fresh way. I was going to say, I, uh, I feel like I've seen a preview to this. Um, and it, was it shot on film? Yes. Yeah. It was shot on film. I, I believe so. Yeah. Because like, it looks like it was shot on 16 millimeter film. I, I want to say it's 35. Okay. Because um, it's got like, it's got that like low resolution 16 millimeter uh, vibe to it. Uh, oh, you're right. It was 16 millimeter. Um, but it was also filmed in New Zealand. Um, and so it, it, you really can't tell, which is crazy. Most of the time I'm like, that's New Zealand whenever I see it. Um, yeah. but in this, you know, it's so localized on this one <laughs> farm that it really works. I will also say Mia Goth plays two characters in this, not one, but two. Um, it's very similar to what Tilda Swinton did in the Suspiria remake where, where, um, you know, they're playing two different people. Um, and, and it just works. Mia Goth knocks it out of the park in both roles. Jenna Ortega's great. It's just, it's so fucking good. And I cannot wait to sit down and watch Pearl. I'm super late to the game on this one. I understand that. I'm, I'm about a year late seeing this movie. Um, and had I seen this in 2022, this could give Barbarian a run for its money for real. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's that good. And, and I really, really loved it. I gave this a nine out of 10 X from director Ty West. He just kills it. And I'm so glad somebody is letting Ty West off the chain to do whatever the hell he wants. And this is what he decided to do. It's, it's insane. Um, you know, Pearl is a prequel to this. We got Maxine coming out later, I believe this year, maybe next year. Um, and, and, and it just works and it's killer. It's an amazing horror movie. It's, I wouldn't call it, it's not art house horror. It's not elevated horror. It is straight up horror. And it is so good to be seeing horror movies return kind of to their roots. And especially you set this in the late nineties and it's just, this is, this is me. This is, this has got me written all over it. I loved it. And I cannot recommend X enough. Reiterating. It's about a porno. Yeah, it is. It is about a group of people making a pornography. There is nudity. Um, you know, I just love. T- I, I love tying that into this is me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just mean the horror side of things. I know. I pornography know. Side of things, I know. But, um, it's just an. It, it's just you can tell Ty West loves old horror, and and this is just a love letter to old school horror while still doing the the modern twist to it and doing it in his own way, and it's just great. It's just fantastic. Nice. 
Okay, so for my next and final one, I have been watching the show Your Honor. This is in its second and, I believe, final season. I've been watching on Paramount+. Plus. This is a Showtime original. Um, it is with Brian Cranston in it, and I gotta say, that's the reason I started watching it. I love Brian Cranston. Never seen him do something I haven't enjoyed. He plays a judge in New Orleans whose son gets involved in a hit and run, and he basically has to help his son escape uh, justice because the son that he killed or the boy that he killed in the hit and run is actually the son of a local mafia member. Now, um, the it, we also have Michael Stuhlberg, I believe is his name. Let me just Mike. Let me just double check on that real quick. Yeah, Michael Stuhlberg. He plays Jimmy Baxter. Michael Stuhlberg is actually also in uh, Boardwalk Empire, and he is phenomenal in both of them. He's really, really good. We've also got uh, Hope Davis, um, who, if you have watched this show, you will understand this. But my God. Do I hate this woman? Um, she is a psycho, but because I hate her, that means she's doing a damn good job at what she does. She does amazing. Um, anybody who has watched the show will know how utterly frustrating Brian Cranston's son is. I believe his name is Adam. Um, but there's a lot going on in this show. It's a lot like Boardwalk Empire where you do have a main story, but you've got a lot of things going on outside the main story. Um, it is really good. Um, however, I feel like the only reason they did a second season is because they didn't know how to end the first season. The first season ends really abruptly, almost anticlimactically. Um, I'm not saying the second season doesn't belong. I'm just saying that I feel like had they ended, maybe done like an extended version of the final episode of the first season... Probably would have been a better way to go about it, but um, overall, I mean, the acting is phenomenal. The uh, the cinematography is really, really good at times. New Orleans is just kind of a cool setting anyway. Um, I don't know. Have you ever been to New Orleans before? I Only once, and I really, okay. really loved it. Yeah, New Orleans is awesome. It's a really, really cool <clears throat> town for 72 hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a lot like Vegas in that way, actually. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's a really, really cool premise. Um, I love seeing Brian Cranston in this, uh, kind of almost, it's kind of similar to Breaking Bad where he's doing these things out of necessity and not because he's a bad person. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of really similar to that. Um, on that note, um, I heard Malcolm in the Middle is getting a reboot. Kind of stoked about that. Because I love now, I, I I understand that, but to see Brian Cranston as uh, as the dad in that show again, he's just he was so good as the dad in that show. But um, but yeah, overall, I definitely recommend Your Honor. I will say uh, not his strongest. I mean, it's a strong performance, but I would not say that this is the strongest project. I have seen him work on. Um, however, I will say this is definitely better than another show that is running kind of uh, alongside it, which is Mayor of Kingstown, which we won't get into. But if you're going to pick between the two, they're both kind of crime shows. Your Honor is definitely, I think, the way to go. Uh, I am going to give this a... I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. A reluctant 7 out of 10. Yeah, I've heard really good things about this. It's good. Yeah. It's good. It, 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 it is good in my, but this is also why, um, I don't, 
I, I, up until recently, I haven't watched a ton of TV shows is because I feel like when I start watching a lot of TV shows, um, the other ones, I start losing little elements and pieces in it that, you know, really, uh, uh, attach me to the things that are happening. And I yeah. think that's kind of what's happening with your honor. Um, because it is a great story. It's a great premise. Uh, the acting is phenomenal. The, uh, again, the cinematography is really good for the most part. Sometimes it feels a little run of the mill, but for the most part, it's really good. The directing is really good. It's just, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a really, really good show. Um, that I think overall is a seven out of 10. Some of the episodes are higher, but on an average, I would say seven out of 10. Nice. All right. So for my final view of the month, I saw knock at the cabin as we filmed this just two days ago, like the last day of February. Um, but not Shyamalan. I, I, I spoke on, um, I recently got the AMC membership so that like I can just go to theaters and that's what this was. Um, I just decided to go see this in kind of a whim and I really, really enjoyed this. I had seen mixed things about this. M. Night Shyamalan is somebody that I have mixed feelings about. Yeah. He's made some great movies. Uh, and then he makes stuff like Old, where I feel like he's never made a movie in his life before. He's, um, that, dire- he's that director every time he comes out with a new movie. I'm like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, yeah. come on, come on, come on, come on, yeah. come on. Oh. And they're, they're just living in the woods? <laughs> Exactly. Well, in this one, he has a lot more of, um, he has a lot more story to work with because it is based off of a book and not a short story like old. This is one of those movies that I had, um, kind of low expectations going into because of how terrible old was. We, Mm -hmm. if you want to see our review of old, you can find that linked up top and down below here. We both hated it. That movie was trash. Uh, up and down cinematography, lighting, acting, acting. writing, all acting. of it, all of it was so so bad. And acting. so when I heard, yes, and so when I heard, knock at the cabin was coming out, and it was by him, I had my reservations. Uh, and especially when I found out that Dave Batista was in this, he is somebody that I have mixed feelings about as well. He's really good in Guardians. Period. <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, his, you know, I, his other I, stuff is kind of, you know, he's kind of a one note actor. I've not actually seen him in anything, but ever. Mostly, You've never no. seen Guardians. You didn't see Glass Onion, dude. I hate Marvel movies. We've been over this so many times. Guardians is the only Marvel movie that I actually enjoy. Fair enough. Um, and he's great in Guardians. And if you're gonna if you're gonna do the ride at Disney World, you gotta watch the movies. Um, either way. Um, Dave Bautista is somebody that I have mixed feelings about because he's, um, kind of a one note actor. Uh, he's also covered in tattoos. And so the, uh, like in, in real, real life, life, in real life, he's covered in that. tattoos. Interesting. Um, and so every movie that he's in, he has those same tattoos, for instance, um, in, what did I see him in recently? Oh, uh, in glass onion, he has a Wu Tang tattoo. Oh, he in, was in that and he was so good in it. That's it what I forgot he was in yes. that. Uh, in Knock at the Cabin, he has a Wu-Tang tattoo because he has a real Wu-Tang tattoo. He has Batman tattoos. You know, uh, they're wildly distracting when in a movie. In this, he plays a second grade teacher. Um, and so it's a little, you kind of have to suspend your disbelief as far as a principal would hire somebody that, that <gasps> looks like teacher? Dave Batista. Where? In San Quentin? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a little... 
not believable as far as that goes, but that's not really the point of this whole thing. This movie is essentially about four people show up at a cabin, knock on the door and say, Hey, um, the end of the world is about to happen. And in order to prevent the end of the world and end times and plagues and floods and everything else, um, the three of you have to figure out which one of you is going to be killed by the others. Um, and that w- that in turn will prevent the end of the world, which is a really fucking dumb idea when you say it out loud like that. Say, yeah, that's a, that, that sounds like some like uh, Heaven's Gate type of shit. Yes. Um, but by the end of the movie I, or by toward the end of the movie, I found myself completely enthralled and invested in this thing. Um, a lot of the people that I follow on other podcasts and letterbox and stuff like that uh, rated this lower than I did. And I think that universally this has been kind of getting uh, a little bit panned. Um, but as far as uh, an M night Shyamalan movie, this is pretty damn good. And I was thoroughly invested by the end. Rupert Grint is also awesome in this. Uh, he's got a much smaller role than I would have liked to have seen him play uh, mm-hmm. because I really like Rupert Grint. The stuff that yeah. I've seen by him outside of Harry Potter. And the trailer good. makes it look like he's got a decent sized part too. And he does, but he's, um, you know, he's not nearly as big of a role as uh, Dave Batista or um, the other girl. I think Nikki Amuka Bird is her name. Mm-hmm. Um Either way, she, she there. Um, all four of them are good, but Rupert Grant is my favorite out of the four, and he's just not in it enough. Um, and all in all, I I enjoyed this a lot. M Night Shyamalan actually did a really good job, and maybe that's because he actually had source material to work with, unlike old, where I believe that was a short story. Didn't we? Didn't we find yeah. that out that it was a. Yeah, was it a short end, story or the, a, it was a, a graphic it, novel or something? I, uh, it was a gra- that's right. It was a graphic novel, and right. uh, the ending was not yeah. what the graphic yeah, yeah, yeah. novel was. So uh, this does not have the M Night Shyamalan twist ending. That's all I will say about oh, it. Oh, thank God! Um, he he kind of got away oh. from that a little bit, and the ending is both poignant and sweet. Um, but it's also really smart and fun. And, and I, I thought it brought a lot of closure. I've seen a lot of people complain about the very last scene. Um, but for me, I really enjoyed this up and down and it was surprisingly good uh, considering how much I mostly dislike M. Night Shyamalan's movies. Mm -hmm. So I, I went ahead and rated this a seven out of 10. This is very strong for M. Night Shyamalan. This is not your typical horror movie. I, there's some pretty good gore in it, but I'm not sure I would describe it as a horror movie it is um, maybe a thriller uh with some light horror adjacent things in it but seven out of ten knock the cabin really fun m night Shyamalan getting away from the twist ending thing very good very smart and and he's become a meme at this point because of it and i think that this is a step in the right direction from him and dave batista surprisingly good in this like actually really really good in this so uh seven out of ten for knock at the cabin nice so I know this was a really long episode and we could not figure out another way to do what we watched in February other than to just word vomit out what we've been watching. And this is a very, I think this is the longest episode we've ever done. Um, this was, this is something that I'm not sure how we're going to do next month. We will maybe figure out he just disappeared. I looked over and he just disappeared. <laughs> well, 
Oh, oh, we're still, oh, shit, we're still recording. Okay, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> I'm not sure how we're going to do this next month. We may figure out a different way to do this, but this is how we did it this month. Uh, this was interesting. next time. It's, yeah, I think maybe we'll start maybe earlier God, in the evening. I feel like we just did a podcast telethon. Yeah, um, but if you like this, make sure Save you hit the like money. button. If you liked this, make sure you hit the like button. If you really liked it, make sure you hit that subscribe button because we got a lot more content like this on the channel. Um, seriously, let us know what you thought about all uh, at least some of these movies down in the comments. I know we talked about a shitload of them. And I will also say this is not everything that we both watched this month. Because if we were going to do that, this would be a three hour long episode. And yep. Nobody, including us, wants that. So we did have to knock some stuff off. If you would like to see absolutely everything that I watched this month, at least, you can go follow me on Letterboxd, which I have linked down below. All of my reviews for everything we talked about, plus some, are all down there. I also have a list of everything that I've watched this year so far that you can go through and see how I've rated everything. Um, and I think, I think Brett's going to try to start doing that here in the future so that when we do these in the future that we can, uh, we can both say that and you can go check out everything. So we'll make valiant attempts. <sighs> yes. Yeah, so thank you guys for watching. I think my voice is just about given all of it's all that it's got at this point. Uh, so soon. <laughs> we will, we'll see you guys next time from the deep. Bye-bye. Ta-ta.